Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and here we're here with a bonus on the beat session. And I'm joined by my co-host Tucker Horn, manager of the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team. How's it going, Tucker? Hey, I'm doing well, Marvin. I am stoked to be doing this show with you, and I couldn't be more excited to share some great information, news, and interviews with people that are active in the competitive fly fishing scene. Yeah, folks, so to kind of pull back the curtain, Tucker and I have been talking about this for a while, and what we want to do is to bring a regular uh, show that provides news and interviews just to the competitive fly fishing community. So this is our first experiment. We hope you like it. Uh, please give us some feedback. You can hit us up on our social media outlets. Uh, you can leave us a message at thearticulatefly.com. As a matter of fact, Tucker, we may even be putting up a poll to ask people if we should keep it or kill it. I think we're going to be putting up a poll because I love social media. So follow along on facebook.com forward slash the articulate fly. Follow us on Instagram at the articulate fly and check out what we're doing on social media. Check out, subscribe to the podcast and we're in for a fun ride here and I will hope we hope you'll join us. Absolutely. And before we get the party going, want to give a shout out to this inaugural episode sponsor, the Virginia fly fishing and wine festival. The event's going to be in its 20th year. It's put on by event promoter Bo Beasley, and it will be held January 11th and 12th in Doswell, Virginia. If you go to the Articulate Fly website and go to the event page, you can get all the details. Tucker, you ready to rock us with the news? Let's rock and roll. Here's the current on the beat fly fishing news. On May 17th, 2019, Phipps Moosh banned the squirmy worm. It was an anticipated change by many on the international competition circuit. Here's Calvin Kalos, head coach of the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team, an international supervisor for Phipps Moosh, and member of the U.S. Fly Fishing Team Advisory Board. Phipps Moosh came down with the squirmy, ruly, squirmy, wormy ruling, and obviously that is something that will affect the youth team and other international competitors. Uh, what's your take on that? Um, mine, uh, one is a angler myself too, as the coach of the youth team, as well as, uh, and it, uh, I'm on the board, uh, the advisory board for the adult team. I think it's going to affect every competitor equally. Um, I guess that's from a coaching standpoint. Um, the, uh, I think it was one of the first, you know, U S flies when we think of, all the European magazines that we read and things that we research, uh, everything tended to come from, you know, the UK for lake fishing or lock fishing. And, and then, uh, you know, a lot of the patterns all come from Eastern Europe because that's where this has been going on for 30 years. We're fairly infantile and, uh, in that. So for us, uh, if I want to go back and story tell, I think it was Poland, if I'm not mistaken, the youth team, Paul Bork was the coach and, um, I want to say the youth uh, obviously did very well. It was uh, rivers uh, out there as well, pretty big water, uh, were water that we like. And uh, I want to say we put uh, all five in the top seven. Uh, obviously, we won team gold. And, um, you know, again, hopefully I'm not mistaken on any of those details. But the uh, so I, I think that's what put it on the map. Uh, and then countries, just like uh, when we learn something new over there, then we're trying to research it and find it, uh, you know. But by now, five, six years removed, um, every country's got them. Every country's got their variations of them. Uh, countries were using uh, caps, uh, red caps, and stamping out Mr. Twister Tails to 
add even that were probably better or more effective than our squirmies. And the Mr. Twister tail end was ruled out. I believe it was two years ago. And, uh, then the, the squirmy as a whole was ruled out uh, this year at the International Congress uh, that was held. Do you think the squirmy is a real fly? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, de- I define a fly as, you know, anything that we use, thread and other materials uh, tied onto a hook. Um, the, the question I would pose um, to any of the anglers out there, comp anglers, um, you know, the definition of what's a fly, I don't know that a squirmy is any more junky. Uh, if you talk to comp anglers, it kind of goes into what we call the junk box. So our mops are in there, our eggs are in there, um, our squirms are in there or, or used to be in there. Um, the, uh, I, I don't know that it's any junkier than a blob or a booby. Uh, as a matter of fact, blobs and, and boobies uh, are outlawed on a lot of the uh, UK fisheries, Scotland and Ireland fisheries, because of the way that they inhale it um, and a lot of uh, fish kill from it. Um, so they've they've not it's not uh, denied in competitions as far as FIPS goes, but it's denied on a lot of the local fisheries in England. So I don't know if it's any junkier than any of the other flies that I named, but uh, I do, uh, you know, it's, it's what it is. And now we just adjust uh, whether when it was the line that came down, the leader rule and your, your leader can only be two times the rod length. Guys went to get longer rods. Now there's, you know, 10 and a half, 11 footer rods. Um, you know, at first everybody was just fishing pure mono because, you know what what defines a leader what defines a line you know phipps came up with a line and before that ruling you were hard pressed to find uh, a two-two fly line anywhere now just about every major rod manufacturer to include airflow rio hannock uh everybody's making uh, Cortland. uh everybody's making a two-two fly line for competition do you think the mop fly could be the next thing that's outlawed um, as far as the mop fly, I, I do not think uh, it will go simply because when you look at rulings, uh, and I'm on the, the as a FIPS International Supervisor myself, um, you have to look at rulings from a standpoint of, you know, how do you how do you um, make sure that everybody is is upholding the rule, and it's just chenille. So it's uh, whether it's cut off of a you know, something you clean your car with, or now they make rugs out of it at Walmart and Amazon, uh, for bath rugs. Um, I don't, I don't see them outlawing chenille or egg material or, you know, blob fritz anytime soon. Uh, what they were easily able to do is go with diameter of rubber, uh, which is how they, they finally outlawed the squirmy, uh, in that sense is that, uh, it was the diameter of rubber. So you could still use rubber, um, you could still use a thin rubber or tubing um, to kind of create something. Um, the uh, as far as uh, a squirmy goes, or blood worms or midge worms go, but uh, I don't think it'll be anywhere near as effective as the squirmy was. Officially, the new rule reads as follows. Article 29.10 says appendages that alter the original concept of an artificial fly or bodies made of molded shaped plastic, molded shaped silicone or molded-shaped rubber are banned from competition. Rubber or extruded round material exceeding the bend, shank, or eye of the hook is not allowed, with the exception of rubber material less than 0.53 millimeters used for leg imitations. 
We're told things like stonefly legs are fine because they are thinner than 0.53 millimeters. Do you have an opinion on whether or not the squirmy should have been banned? Check out the poll on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the articulate fly. Now for our leaderboard update. Team Nymphmaster is at the top of the Southeast Fly Fishing League leaderboard, followed by Team Deadrift and Team Stonefly. The top 10 individuals are as follows. 1. Gabe Witosh. 2. Forrest Johnston. 3. Hunter Wright. 4. Jonathan Jordan. 5. Roger Wilson. 6. Sean Isaacs. 7. Michael Yelton. 8. Jacob Brewster. 9. Michael Bradley, our show guest. And 10. Mark Adams. The National Fly Fishing League is currently led by Team Confluence, followed by Team Freestone and Team Trutta. The top 10 individual anglers are Ben True, Pat Weiss, Nick Malloy, Dan Collins, Mike Kamara, Ken Crane, Sean Crocker, Nick Bell, Calvin Bush, and Andy Leakey. The Southeast Fly Fishing League and Team Deadrift are hosting the Helen Classic on the Chattahoochee River on 629 and 630. More details can be found on flycomps.com. This is a four-session event that will be competitor-controlled. The National Fly Fishing League will be hosting the Nine Mile Creek Mini Comp in Marcellus Falls, New York. The event is on Sunday, June 30th, and will be two two-hour-long competitor-controlled sessions. More information is on flycomps.com. 17 anglers have registered, and there's 18 available spots. The event doesn't have a waitlist, and it could host another angler. Two U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team members, Matthew Molfino and Ben Brocious, are hosting a regional in Vail, Colorado on July 27th and July 28th on Gore Creek. It will be four two-hour-long competitor-controlled river sessions. There are more details on flycomps.com. All of those events and more can be found on the events section on our website. The U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team is preparing for their trip to the World Championship in the Czech Republic. Head coach Calvin Kalos just publicly named the anglers that will be representing the United States in VC Broad, Czech Republic. The team will be represented by Mike Kamara, Ben Comfort, Chase Kreider, Eli Buchanan, Joey Patti, and Martin Dietz. Good luck to the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team. Fly Fishing Team USA and the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team, along with several other regional teams, will be participating in the North American Lockstyle Championship this coming September in British Columbia. The event is hosted by Tato Ishii. More details can be found at flyfishingchampionship.com. Don't forget, all of these events and more are on the events section on our website. The U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team just hosted the second Real Girls Clinic in State College, Pennsylvania. The clinic was geared towards girls wanting to learn more about competitive fly fishing. Several fantastic female instructors were on hand to help the girls catch more fish. The event was a partnership between takemefishing.org and the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team. A majority of the event was organized by U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team Board Secretary Deb Ridgway. Let's get to our interview with a man that needs no introduction to competitors in the United States. He's from Cherokee, North Carolina, and he represented the United States at last year's World Championship in Italy. He will once again represent the United States at the World Championship this year in Tasmania. Welcome Michael Bradley of Cherokee, North Carolina and FlyFishCherokeeNC.com. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Well, it's great. I'm glad you're with us uh, this evening, Michael, and I want to keep the articulate fly tradition going, and I always ask all of my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Um, I was pretty young, three or four years old. I started with just a stick on the bank and some four-pound test catching creek chubs, and that's that's 
the earliest I can remember of me doing any kind of fishing. That's right all- here in the middle of Cherokee. That's really cool. When did you start fly fishing? So in middle school, I broke my leg and I couldn't really play sports. So I tried fly fishing and it didn't stick long for some reason. I, I just couldn't, I didn't really have a teacher for that. I, I caught a few fish here and there on dry flies and some weird stuff that I tried tied when I was a kid. And that lasted just one summer. And then I picked up golf and I stuck with that for, I think, up to 2013. No, 2011 or 12. Whenever they had the first national championship here in Cherokee. That was 2011, believe it or not. Is that when that was? Yeah, that that was when it was. Okay. Well, that that it was shortly after I went and bought a a, a Sage Vantage, and that's kind of when I got hooked. And so, as you kind of took the journey to what we like to call in the articulate fly, the dark side to fly fishing, who were some of your mentors? Um, I I, I didn't really have any, like right off the bat. But I guess within the first year and a half or so, I had met Gordon and Matt Beam. And those were about the only two that I really met here in Cherokee. Matt worked at the fly shop. So they kind of gave me a few pointers along the way to keep me interested. I I would say those, those two were my first mentors when you really started getting better and learning a lot more who who from the competition circuit took you under their wing and tried to show you some more more tricks of the trade so i did most of my fishing with joey Walraven. me and him we would go out and we would we would swap on like if we were fishing the upper nanahala we would fish a run and we would just go back and forth we would we would have our own little kind of mini tournaments or take five casts. If you don't catch a fish, you swap out, stuff like that. But uh, him and Paul Bork, Paul was more uh, verbal for it. He, he he had some time, but he was just getting into the film industry and didn't have a lot of time to fish, so he was more verbal about it. And I learned I learned a lot from that too. And so to kind of just to kind of back up just a little bit, how did you get the competitive fly fishing bug? So you started fly fishing. What made you decide that you wanted to be a competitive angler? Uh, somebody just asked me if I wanted to fish a, an old trout legend tournament that was hosted here in Cherokee. I was like, sure, I'll sign up. So I signed up for it, tried it. And that was about a year in. I think it was exactly one year. And I didn't do too well, but I learned a ton, and that's where I was introduced to uh, the Euro Nymphin stuff, sightlining. Cool, cool. Uh, how long have you fished roughly competitively? I did a turn. That tournament was in May, and I took a break and I kind of learned the style a bit. And my very next one was in October, on the Upper Nantahala. And there was like, I don't know, I think around 
20, maybe 25 people in it, and I ended up winning it, so I was hooked instantly. That's awesome. Where has some of the competition you've you've competed in taken you? Um, I've been up to New York quite a bit, Pennsylvania, uh, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, and British Columbia on in in the state area here and uh we just got back from italy back in september that was my first trip no bc was my first trip out of the country but still kind of stateside i guess yeah that's really interesting and i mean you know i know a lot of people that'll be listening to this uh, know you and know how rapidly you've you've risen through the ranks of the competitive fly fishing world. But you know, to help people understand, you didn't start fishing competitively till like 2012, 2013, and in 2016 you made the na- the U.S. national team. What do you attribute uh, your rapid rise through uh, the competitive angling community to? It might sound a little weird, but uh, having a good visualization, a good active mind like what your flies are doing in the water and just being creative on the water and spending spending a lot of i spent a lot of hours on the water between 2013 and 2016 i was on the water probably six days a week doing some sort of fishing doing casting and I don't want to say I'm mostly self-taught because I'm not, but I think, I, I don't know, a lot of it was verbal from Paul and saying so-and-so does this. So I go out and I practice it and it may not work the first time, but whenever that clicks, I'm like, that's what he was talking about. And that happened so many times with Paul, you know, he was, he would share something with me and it would just take a while for it to click. And, once it did, I understood. And... Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I don't think any of us get to fish as much as we like, and there's really no substitute for being on the water. There is not. What is your favorite memory as a competitive angler? Uh, this past year, back in November, me and my dad, we fished the Rumble on the Rhododendron, and it is a... Um, I don't, know, I don't know how to explain the tournament format or elimination format. Yeah, elimination, two-person teams. So so we we made it to the championship round, and we're fishing a pretty tough beat. Eli and Alex fished in front of us. They caught six fish. They're really good anglers. I was like, well, they're, they're in there, so I knew we could catch some fish at least. And it was about, let's see, you get to score nine fish in the session. We had, I think, six fish at the time, and I was down in the confluence hole, and Dad was in the run above where I left him. There were just thousands of leaves coming down the river, and I had seen a big one in that run. I didn't know how big it was exactly, and <clears throat> so I, I made him kind of focus on that run there. I uh, I went down. I looked up there. I seen him catch a fish and score it. It was a nice one. 
probably 17 inches or so. And I see him hooked up again, and everybody's standing around watching. There was a crowd there, probably 10 or 12 people, and it looked like he needed help. <laughs> so I jumped out of the water, and I went up the bank and got up there. And I see him at it, and I hear everybody start cheering and getting loud. And he uh, he turned around, his hat, he was, I guess, from not being able to adjust his hat while he's fighting him, but it was all lopsided and hanging on the side of his head. And he, he pulled a fish out of 25 inches. That's awesome. In the last session of the tournament. And he and I ended up winning it by a, little, by a pretty good amount. And that was just an awesome memory. Probably probably my favorite one. What's your favorite accomplish, accomplishment in competitive angling? Uh... I guess just qualifying for the world championship team. That's, I mean, that's as far as you can go with it, really. Other than winning a medal, I've got a few national championship medals, a third place individual, second place team, but making the world, the world championship team is probably the top of the line. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, Michael, if you could share with us kind of your preferred rig, you know, your rod and your leader setup that you kind of use most of the time, because I know a lot of guys out there are really dying to kind of know your equipment. Yeah. Um, so I fish a master nymph rod, a 10 foot two weight. I've, I've fished a lot of different rods in my time. And this, I feel like this one sets up for the way I fish. You know, it's a little faster action, but still. It's a combination of fast and soft. It's weird. I don't know how they've done that, but uh, I fished that with a fluorocarbon leader, which is which kind of goes back to another question y'all had on down the line there. Um, I fish a ten pound fluorocarbon leader, eight pound cider. No, it's nothing fancy, but it works for me. And and what is it that's uh, that you that about the rod action and the um, that fits your style so well, so people can kind of understand that. So maybe if they have a style similar to yours, they might try the rod out. Well, it's a fast action, so you, I feel like the rod recovers a lot faster, and making those tight little tuck casts and. Uh, accuracy cast like i don't want to miss my target and i think that rod helps tremendously with that i hear that what piece of gear do you use that might surprise people that are maybe thinking about giving this a go or that have given this a go so i'm going to go with the fluorocarbon leader and i mean most people think that the fluorocarbon the first thought that comes to their mind is oh it sinks though does but you're also allowed to use the the uh, mucilin or whatever you want to call it fly line cleaner just put some of that on there and it'll float most of the day you you might have to grease it back up halfway through your day but it it does the job what uh what type of mucilin do you use to do that oh man i've had it for six years do you use the red or the green do you know it's neither. Mine's Flyline Cleaner. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Nice. I can't even think of the name of it. It's, it's Timco Flyline Cleaner. It's got a bunch of foreign writing on it that I cannot read. 
<laughs> love that. That's uh, all I can read is Kimco fly line cleaner. That's going to be fly fishing's most Googled phrase this week, I think. <laughs> we'll have to hustle out and buy those uh, Google AdWords when we're done. It's a uh, it's a white con- it's a white round container, about the same size as the muslin. Cool, cool. Well, you know, Michael, we were talking a little bit earlier. I mean, you fish a lot. I mean, I looked at your website. I mean, you're literally on the water hundreds of days a year. And, you know, we also talked about how, you know, putting in your time, there's really no substitute. Um, Uh But, you know, I know not everyone is lucky to live in Cherokee so close to great water and to be able to practice as much as you do. If you're a competitive angler and you can't get out as much as you'd like, what suggestions would you give folks to make the most of their practice time? When you ask that, are you talking like while they're at home or while they're actually on the water or both? Uh, Really both because, you know, if there's stuff that you can do because you can't get to the water that'll help you up your game, I think people would love to hear that too. So at home, I would really, really, really practice on casting. And they don't even have to be long cast. But back when I first started competing, they wanted us to have a, a... a fishing leader or a nymphing leader that could turn over like a size 14 Adams or a caddis or whatever. And that, and I think working on that, working on casting with a nymphing leader will, uh, up your game whenever you get to the river. And when you're on the river, I mean, just work on figuring out, uh, figuring your patterns out throughout the day. I mean, I guess that's a lot of people's mishap is knowing what to change and when to change it. Uh, what's a common mistake you see less experienced competitive anglers make regularly? Hook sets. Hook sets, really? Okay. Hook sets, yeah. How can they get better at that? Uh, go fish a delayed harvest stream. And tone it down just a little bit. I see a lot of people setting way too hard. That's that. Well, that's just my personal opinion because I don't set the hook hard. You also use very very light tippet that other people probably couldn't get away with. Yeah, I fish a lot of seven X. I mean, that's probably that's probably been my go to tippet size for five years, six years. Well, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And I want to kind of shift gears. I mean, you've got a trip coming up here soon to the world championships in Tasmania. Can you let folks know, uh, when the championships are being held and kind of how the event is set up and kind of what do you expect when you get there? Uh, so we're leaving right after Thanksgiving, I believe the team is to go down and get some practice in and the tournament starts. I want to say the 4th or 5th of December. I I can't really remember. And they've actually had just a few new rule mods for it that uh, Pat Weiss shared with the team. And we're going to be doing three lakes and two river sessions, but only one session per day, which isn't normal. Normally it's fish two sessions, fish one session and a break in the afternoon and then two sessions on the last day. So we're fishing just one session a day down there. They're trying to line it up for 
prime hatch times or something for the mayflies, which I think is pretty cool. But and they also changed the uh, late sessions. We'll be fishing for four hours instead of three. That's pretty cool. That's definitely a different format than I think we've ever seen in the past. Yeah, it, it, it's a little different. I don't know how I feel about the four-hour session sitting on a little boat. <laughs> I'm, I'm close to 300 pounds. Could be a little wobbly. Yeah, I don't know how comfortable it's going to be or what size boat they're going to have, but I think I'll be ready for it. I hear that. When did you decide you ended up wanting to be a guide? Mm, well, I had just started fly fishing, and it was probably four or five. No, no longer than that. I caught up pretty quick on, on how to catch a trout with a fly rod. And uh, Matt had messaged me and said, hey, do you want to volunteer for this? Uh, uh, what is the event they have here every year? It's I don't think it's Project Healing Waters. Okay. It might be. It seems like it was a different one, though. I can't remember. Okay. But uh, he said, you want to volunteer as a guide? I said, sure. So we went out and they caught a bunch of fish. And I was like, well, if you ever need help, just call me. So kind of went from there. That's awesome. And this is this was about 2013, 2000, maybe 2012. 2012 or 13, I can't remember. And so did you start guiding for other people and then start Fly Fish Cherokee, or did you start Fly Fish Cherokee out of the box? No, I, I, I guided for River's Edge for a couple years. And... uh this is my third year with Flyfish Cherokee, my my own guide service. Well, that's uh, that's really cool. Can you let our listeners know where you guide? Um, I do probably ninety five percent of my trips right in Cherokee. We've got the catch and release uh, trophy section. I don't recommend it until fall, winter, and spring. It's a little tough in the summer, and you got to deal with tubers. I guess that goes about anywhere. Um, I guide there and above on the Raven Fork. I do a lot of trips for newer anglers or even the competitive anglers. I take the the general water there. It's pretty good. Not, we don't hardly catch big fish on the general water, but it's more numbers. So That's cool. How has your competitive angling experience impacted your guiding? Uh, I mean, that's probably where 90% of my guide trips come from, is from the competitive side. Do you end so up guiding? I, I guide a, do you end up guiding for a lot yeah, of competitors? I do. Competitors and kids that want to get on the youth team, and um, I do a lot of that. And re- well, I do that, and then I get just the people that want to learn the Euro Nymph and stuff, and not necessarily compete. But I, I would say probably 90% of them are competitors. Well, and I'll continue another articulate fly tradition. There's another question I ask all of my guide guests to let us, uh, to share what they think the biggest misconception people have about the life of a fly fishing guide. I was thinking about that one for a while today. And, uh, I think the biggest misconception is 
that people think we like tying flies. <laughs> I know. I hate uh, it. <laughs> I don't mind, but it's not my favorite part. My favorite thing of uh, with fly fish. <laughs> I'm a pretty good tire. I just tie really, 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 really slow. I hear that. Uh, where can folks find more information out about about your guide service? What's the best way to like get in touch with you? Um, uh, Instagram's quick. The the website itself is pretty quick. There's that. There's actually links in the the uh, visit Cherokee website that goes straight to my website. Um, where else? Well, we know you're like almost insta famous at this point, which is kind of fun. Uh, we're we're honored that we know you on Instagram. It's fun to see all your fishing pictures. You post a lot of really pretty, really pretty photos and a lot of really big fish. That's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. And and I'll drop Michael. I'll drop all of your contact information and website and social media stuff into the show notes. So, folks, if you'll just hop on over, either look at the show notes in the podcast of your choice, or head over to our website at thearticulatefly.com, you'll be able to figure out how to catch up with Michael. Michael, I really appreciate you taking time to join us on this experiment this evening. And uh, I wish you the best of all all possible outcomes in the world championships. And I know Tucker does too. Yeah. And um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. We, maybe we'll have you back and uh, you can talk about all the medals that you and the team won. Uh, we can do that over the holiday season. That would be a lot of fun. And uh, before we leave tonight, I want to give a shout out and thank our sponsor again, the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, a great event in January 2020 in Doswell, Virginia. Remember, you can get all the details on the events page at our website. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this special uh, session of the Articulate Fly podcast on the beat. Uh, If you like it, please let us know. We've got plenty of stuff in the pipeline. Uh, We want to better serve the competitive fly fishing community. Just send us a message on the Articulate Fly Facebook. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice and give us a review in iTunes. Tight lines, Michael. Tight lines, Tucker. Have a good one, guys. You guys.